Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Loveline is meant for an adult audience. Loveline may contain sexually oriented content. Listener discretion is advised. Loveline with Dr. Chris starts. Three, two, one. Now. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Uh, Got a great show planned for you, though. We have Dr. Errol Southers joining us. This man has a phenomenal legacy. He worked with the FBI, the police department, and now he works with Homeland Security. We're going to be talking about police change. What does it look like to try to change the culture of policing, both within the department and also the community's relationship to the department? As uh, here right in LA, our mayor is talking about up to $100 million in divestment in the police department that will be redistributed to the communities of color. So we talk about that as well as being joined by Dr. James Simmons, talk about all things COVID and of course, Black Lives Matters. Um, but let's get into some stuff that I saw in the news that I thought was really fascinating. So right now, Snapchat and a bunch of other places, um, Bitmoji as well, are adding more gender neutrality to things. I love this. They're using they, them pronouns. They're using more gender, non-gender descript, um, Bitmoji options and different rainbow colors for the pride flag, the asexual flag, all sorts of stuff, the trans flag. I mean, this is really stunning it's reflecting back the world we're in. So we're going to see more and more and more. And again, it's going to really keep teaching us the beauty of diversity and creativity. And what I like is it creates conversation because people don't necessarily inherently see these things and know what they mean. And it really got to ask questions. And I, and I love that. And, you know, some people are feeling overwhelmed by it all, but it's allowing people that traditionally haven't felt included to now feel as though they have worth and, Remember, when we don't have visions, versions, or terms about who we are and explaining how we move through the world reflected back to us, it's really hard for us to have self-worth and confidence. So it's a mental health issue. Seeing yourself resent, uh, represented on a doctor's intake form. Like, I, I'm still always frustrated when I go to a doctor's office and it's like, male or female. That's just not honest or true. Like, that's just a lie, that question, because there's so many other ways of being. Have a blank line. Let people fill it in for themselves. Driver's license. Finally, a lot of states are letting people petition for them themselves to have their IDs changed. Good. It should. It should reflect back how this person moves through the world and who they are. And for those that are concerned about that, don't worry about it. <laughs> don't even worry about it. No sweat off your back, but it saves people's lives. So that's a really, really, really important thing. So let's, let's be happy about that. Let's not, let's not feel, feel bad about that. Um, couples, sh- this is amazing. New article came out saying that couples should wear face masks during sex. 
look, <laughs> I get it. That doesn't sound sexy to a lot of people, but COVID is still happening. The pandemic is still a thing. And we now know it's more aerosol based and kissing. Talk about putting your spit and aerosols into someone else's mouth directly. Kissing will do that. So um, while having sex, should you wear a mask? Because your faces are close. You're sweating. You're panting. You're talking. That's a lot of aerosols. You're in close proximity. Um, Also, I think the implication is for those that are trying to lower the risk with less kissing, the mask will prevent that in heated moments where we're not exactly making the best decisions. But I mean, look, this is some of a sign of the times. I'm looking at the image for the New York Post article and there are two people kissing, wearing masks. Of course, they're hetero and white. So that's cool. Um, (laughs) These little things do matter. Like it could, it'd be cool if they were two dudes, uh, maybe someone of color, maybe both not cis, maybe both not, you know, thin, thin sized Nonetheless, interesting article. But yeah, these things matter. We are now all paying attention to things like the image in these articles. That's real. Uh, Jake Paul, not 100% sure who he is. I think he's a YouTuber. I know y'all do know who he is. I stay out of these people's worlds because they don't tend to produce work that I find meaningful out in the world. Uh, But he's been charged in connection with looting of an Arizona mall. Yo, I'm here for this. He's facing two misdemeanor charges, criminal trespassing and unlawful assembly. He's trying to get out of it by saying he was filming things. I'm wondering if that's going to be a useful defense. I'm a YouTuber. I film things. I was just here filming. You're not a journalist, bro. You're trying to make money and get followers off this. This is something serious that's happening. It's not to make light of. It's not to get followers from. Like That's ridiculous to me. I I wish people weren't treating this in that way. We all saw viral the photo op of this girl hopping out of a car, asking her boyfriend to film her, helping someone drill a board into the wall of his store to protect it from damage. And then she gets back in the car and they drive away. And she's going to like post that and act like she's part of the movement. It's a mess. Hey, it's Dr. Chris, and this is Loveline. We've got a great show planned for you. We have Dr. Errol Southers and Dr. James Simmons joining us. We talk about all things mental health related, especially looking through the lens of Black Lives Matter, COVID, and always just reminding ourselves to focus on self-care. If you have a question, you can always send them to us through our Loveline DMs or by tweeting them with the hashtag I'm listening. Right now, we are witnessing and part of something monumental. We're having what we would call the largest civil rights movement in the world. Right here, we have all 50 states and eight countries that have participated in the Black Lives Matter protests, which is a really powerful level of really creating space, building community, and getting voices heard. Now, right now, we've definitely got two pandemics, right? We're battling COVID and we're battling racism. So it's really important from a mental health perspective that we are focusing on the impact all this is having on us in terms of our mood, in terms of us emotionally, but also in terms of the impact on our body. Our bodies are a really powerful place to check in on whether or not we're getting overwhelmed or more importantly, even traumatized. Now know that when we're talking about trauma, the impact isn't just on those that are victimized by actual events. It also occurs to those that are witnessing said events. And so I want everyone to be very sensitive to the way that everything that's happening around us and on the news is impacting them. I want to make sure that people aren't traumatizing themselves. But yes, we are happening. I'm sorry, excuse me. We are participating and witnessing some things that for many are going to be very triggering. So I do want us to pay attention to our exposure to news, events, conversations, making sure people are setting boundaries, even giving themselves what I call a news or a phone use bedtime. That's right. About an hour before you want to go to bed, shut down all of those things that are going to make us a little overwhelmed and hyper-stimulated and maybe not allow us to sleep. But I also want to call out that now is the time, if you haven't already, with friends, family members, and especially your children, starting to really talk a lot more about diversity, whether we're talking about race, gender expression, sexuality, body size. All these things are 
othering and often stigmatized. And we really want to start to talk about the beauty and strengths in diversity because uh, mental health has a lot of that, as does physicality. But right now, we're going to go to Dr. Errol Southers, Professor of National and Homeland Security. How are you? Welcome to our show. I'm fine. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. You got you got quite a legacy when I was looking at all the work you've done. You've you've definitely had your hand in a lot. That's quite a um it's quite a history. Thank you. Thank you. I've enjoyed it and I still wake up every day having fun. It's a beautiful thing to be able to say. I hope I can say that at the end of my career <laughs> a few years from now. Um, let's jump right in and just talk about policing, you know, strategies for improving policing. There's a lot of people that aren't sure that that's even possible. So what would that vision or outcome look like? Well, the first thing I want to say is that people are tired of talking and they're tired of hearing law enforcement agencies say we need more training. So as someone who's been in three law enforcement agencies, two at the local level and one at the federal level with the FBI, I got to tell you that this is about a culture change and culture change starts at the top. So as we talk about a framework for healthy policing, I think it's really important that we think about first, who are those chiefs? Who selects chiefs? Well, mayors. And if mayors aren't selecting the right person, you're not going to have any changes in that organization. Secondly, officers come into the department through the academy. That's where it has to begin. So at the top and at the bottom, that's how these reforms have to take place. I think what people really have to understand and what meaning that by people, I mean law enforcement agencies, is that we've got to go back to basic humanity, treating people with dignity and respect. There's really no need to reinvent the wheel here. The last administration had a 21st century task force on policing and had six pillars which they addressed that are really critical. And I'm hoping that as we go through this process now, because of Mr. Floyd, that agencies will do that and they won't make that biggest mistake of deciding to self-assess and reinvent themselves and make the same mistake over again. Now, when you talk about bringing back the humanity, which I think is a really stunning perspective, where would you say we initially went wrong? Is it just an outcome of, you know, general racism in our culture and systemic racism and inequality? Is it that, like, how did we get away from the humanity piece? Well, part of it is cultural. Law enforcement officers are in a paramilitary organization. They've taken on more of a warrior mentality instead of a guardian mentality. Having done that, they've now decided it's us versus them. They look at everything as conflict. I always jokingly say, look, they don't call police officers because something good happened. You call firefighters for that, okay? Uh, You call police officers because something's wrong. And so it starts right there. And in doing that, they become very protective. The humanity goes out the window. Everything is strictly business. They've lost their relationships. They've lost the key component of their real task which is embracing the community. And I think that's what we have to go back to, treating each other in the department as we would treat each other outside the department and remembering that they really are there to serve the people. Yeah. And I, and also just looking at some people's writings on reform of the prison system, but also the policing. Um, I, I noticed that Denver is launching a new pilot program where they're going to actually try to have social workers to handle things that maybe fall more into their purview, such as people that are struggling with mental health issues. So do you think part of the problem is also putting on the police roles that they shouldn't have put on them? Well, I'm glad to hear you say that. And I do want to say that LAPD, the Los Angeles Police Department, does have social workers who ride with those officers and they're on duty. Police officers are social workers. We get called, uh, by we meaning my past career, 
they get called for everything. And so they do have to be somewhat of social workers. But I want to say this, in being somewhat of a social worker as a law enforcement officer, there comes a time now we have to incentivize those things that we weren't traditionally trained to do. We've got to start incentivizing de-escalation. We've got to start incentivizing not arresting people when we don't have to. And that's what I'm talking about when I say get back, getting back to treating people with dignity and respect. I was a gang officer for years. I never took a gang member to jail and disrespected him. That's really important. And I, and I think that's what we have to get back to. There are some bad people out there. Some people have to go to jail. They don't have to be disrespected. And in this case, killed in the process. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing rehabilitative in that. And I think as a therapist, that's what I'm always looking for is how can we not punish, but how can we transform and heal and bring the collectivity back together? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So within the police department itself, um, what are your thoughts on officers holding each other accountable and maybe trying to kind of call out the more problematic ones or kind of, you know, I guess more accountability with it internally on that level? That's a huge pillar in reform, and I'm glad you brought that up. We're going to continue this conversation after the break. We'll be right back. This is Dr. Chris, and you're listening to Loveline. So within the police department itself, what are your thoughts on officers holding each other accountable and maybe trying to kind of call out the more problematic ones or, I guess, more accountability with it internally on that level? That's a huge pillar in reform, and I'm glad you brought that up. You know, officers have this code of silence. They adhere to it. I think we've got to make sure that they know that they can come forward when there's an officer who's bad. They also have to be protected when that happens. You know, with all due respect, police departments are just like schools. If you go to a school and ask the kids who's the bully in the class, they don't have to think twice about it. If you go to police departments and ask who the problem officer is, they know who it is. So with that, I'll also say two other things. Number one, there's got to be a process of get making it easier to terminate bad police officers. I was on the board for a police union. I've been sued by police unions. It's really difficult to get rid of a problem officer, and that is part of the problem. The other thing I would say is that when an officer is terminated, especially for excessive force, deadly force, harassment, sexual harassment, or misconduct or corruption, that information should go into a national database to ensure that that officer never works in public safety again in this country. We don't have that. We need to have that. Okay. That, I mean, that's a powerful statement and possibly a powerful determinant if it's going to be carried with you for the rest of your career. I'm, I'm on board with that. Let's talk about some of the moves that I'm hearing made here locally. Uh, Mayor Garcetti was talking about cutting the LAPD budget and then reinvesting that money in communities of color. What are your thoughts on that? I think that's a great and noble concept. Let me, having been an assistant chief of police, let me speak from a budgetary standpoint. If I have to cut $150 million from my budget and I'm Chief Michael Moore, I'm going to look at what I consider, quote unquote, those non-essential services that I'm providing because I'm not going to cut my personnel. I'm not going to cut my equipment that I need for my personnel. So now I'm talking about things like perhaps the cadet program, the explorer program, midnight basketball the Hero and You program that we have for the K through 12 kids. Unfortunately, when you do that, you cut off your connection and relationship with the community. And more importantly, you now have taken away that pathway of those young kids who are tomorrow's police officers because of the relationship they've had with your departments throughout their lives. This is a really huge move. I work very closely with Chief Moore. 
I work very closely with Mayor Garcetti. I hope that this they will think this through and it will be done correctly. But when I hear cuts like that, I think about services that people don't think are real police services, but they are. And who gets hurt in that process? The community we're trying to enhance. So this is going to be very, very complex. It's going to take a lot of thinking. Okay, so what I'm hearing is, although uh, redistributing money to communities of color uh, in an isolative way, that's that's powerful. But as you're saying, if we're trying to reconnect the community to the police force, we don't want to remove the programs that allow that bridging to happen. Exactly. And okay. we put those programs in there in the first place to do exactly what they're doing. Now, if I've got a cut, that's going to be the first thing on the list. It, it always tends to be because I, I immediately went to just the arts and music programs being cut from schools. And I guess what's concerning is on a psychological level, I know that it's going to take a lot of time for people to have the needed corrective experience of police officers. You know, I'm white and I'm pretty privileged and I've started to internalize some anxiety myself around police officers. And so I can only imagine what that's like for black people or people of color. So, I mean, it's going to take a long time to have a, a new experience of each other. Absolutely. And we don't want to do anything that suggests that we're not supportive of the community. Let's just think about this for a second. Some of the programs I just mentioned, what happens when those programs get removed because of a budget cut? What you're signaling to me, the community resident, is that I'm not important anymore. That program is not a priority for you anymore. And you lose my support. I'm not paying any attention to the budget you have to cut. I only know that my kids got to go to the after school program with Officer Officer Bob every day, and now he's not there. Or they used to go to midnight basketball with Officer Jane, and she's not there. Now you start to lose my support because you've taken away some of our resources and our relationship changes, and not for the better. Wow. Well said. The relationship on both sides needs to heal. Um, I was always so digging around in some of your work and in some of your lectures, and you pointed out something powerful that I had not read or seen yet, that by 2045, it's projected that we might have a majority minority based country. Talk to us about that. That was huge. It's quite interesting. I work in the area of violent extremism. Several years ago, it was projected statistically that we would have a majority minority country by 2050. It's been recalculated in the last two years to 2045. That's what's fueling a number of extremist organizations in this country who believe that there's some real movement here of what they call white genocide. In fact, if you go to some of the hate organizations and extremist organizations, you'll see that if you see the term diversity, that to them equals white genocide. So what they're doing now is pushing back. And that's why you're seeing a lot of the anti-immigrant movements. You're seeing hate crimes now related to COVID. We have a link to our site called Virus of Hate. We are tracking, believe it or not, COVID-19 related hate and extremism targeting Asian Americans and targeting Jews. The anti-Semitism and hate crimes against Asians are at an unprecedented rate because they are being deemed responsible for COVID-19 being in the United States. So it's all based on, again, the fact that they feel that these minorities who've come from other countries, in the case of Asians, are the cause of us being in the pandemic. And the Jews, in their minds, are actually guiding this pandemic to make people sick so that the government can do things like stay-at-home orders, wear masks, and other overreach to make us more contained and constrained in our daily activities. Oof. You know, psychologically speaking, um, and even biologically speaking, we welcome diversity. We see the beauty in it, the strength in it. It's creative. It's fascinating how us humans, we can't stand that. We just want to conform and whitewash everything. Exactly. We want to make it, you know, very absolute us versus them. 
There's a, as you know, there's a whole contagion of called called otherism, where I want to blame it on another race, another religion, another ethnicity, the other gender in some cases. It's never about me. It's always them making me a victim. And that's what's fueling this. And unfortunately, again, we've got to bring back some humility and we've got to bring back some humanity if we're going to survive as a country. And if we're going to survive at this point as a as a species. The death of George Floyd is a game changer. There's not a police department in the country that's going to operate next week the way they did two weeks ago. If they do, then they deserve what happens to them. This is going to change relationships in our country, in our government. I think it's going to change the way we do a lot of things, and I hope it's for the positive. I hope that we don't run this course again. All right, Dr. Errol Southers, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. There we go, folks. Let's let this movement be a true movement and create true sustainable shift. All right, we're back. The Red Bull has kicked in. All cylinders are firing on full. We got a question of the night up on our Loveland IG page. Tonight's question is, what is off limits on social media when you are in a relationship. I feel like this is an ongoing theme we're having, defining the relationship, boundaries in a relationship, cheating and monogamy. Uh, All right, but guess what? It's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Sliding into the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because this is a big old sexy world and we want you to explore with confidence. Here we go. Hey, Dr. Chris, I've been seeing my significant other for over two years. I'm deeply in love with him, but I'm frustrated that he hasn't given me an orgasm through penetration like ever. I've had many of them through oral, but I'm frustrated. Uh, My partner's on the smaller side. I thought the size of one's package was a myth when it came to orgasming. Should I introduce toys or vibrators? I feel like I want to bring it up to him, but not in a way that will make him feel bad. Any suggestions? Yeah, a thousand of them. First off, only a third of women orgasm through penetration. So if you are not in that one third, don't expect for that to happen. Most women, two thirds require, uh, I don't even know if I can say this on air. I don't. Okay. Most women require another form of stimulation that's more externalized, I'll say. Thank you, FCC regulations. Uh, So you are probably not in that one third, which is why oral works for you because it oral allows the stimulation of the external area that is required for you to orgasm. Uh, should you use toys and vibrators? Yeah, 100%. For a multitude of reasons. One, sex is a broad-based thing, and I want people to be really diverse and creative and not always require sex to be penetration because sex is far bigger than just penetration, right? Um, but as far as bringing it up to your partner, no, that's body shaming. You should not bring up. Just like you wouldn't want your partner to come to you and talk about aspects of your body that is not necessarily ideal in their mind. That's not an act of care or love. What is sex about? Sex is about fun and connection and intimacy, and there's a multitude of ways to do that. And if you're going to be obsessed with penetration or penis size, then again, you're not talking about care or love, and you're not necessarily a safe partner to be with, right? So use vibrators and toys and um, accept your partner the way he is. All right, next one. Hey, Loveline, your discussion about cheating yesterday made me want Dr. Chris's thoughts on my situation. I'm with a man of 17 years. Uh, I'm sorry, 17 years older. We've been together for almost two. Everything's been great since day one. Two months ago, I caught him talking to another woman. We talked about it. Things were amazing. Three weeks ago, I opened his laptop, Facebook pops open, and a message from her pops up. It was a naked photo of her. I was upset. I looked at his other messages, and he's been telling her things he tells me. He misses her. Can't wait to see her, he says. So I calmed down, confronted him. I got mad. I moved out. So he texted me several times asking why I moved out. I explained, but he tells me he didn't do anything physical. 
I'm still irritated with him, but I still love him and I don't want to be hurt. I don't know what to do. Okay, so this is not a very uncommon one, right? Technology has given us access to other people all day long in a multitude of ways. And so unfortunately, it's available on those days when we are kind of in that gray area. So as we talked about the other day, every couple has to talk about what monogamy means for them. But you both have to agree because you might not always see it the same way. Sex can be both physical and psychological as you're learning. And so even though he might not have physically touched them, yes, you can still psychologically be having sex with them by looking at photos and talking dirty. So if you can't agree on what is going to be decided as cheating in your relationship, or if they're not going to honor it, then you're going to have to be in a new relationship. Otherwise, you're going to be really uncomfortable for a long time. So work on that. Sliding into DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sexy world. And we want you to explore it with confidence. You're listening to Loveline on the new Channel Q and Radio.com. There we go, folks. Let's let this movement be a true movement and create true sustainable shift. And as we keep talking about, look, all these different levels of othering and stigmatizing and prejudice, they all intersect. It's all, as we were talking about, this idea of having to always construct this us against them. So much work to do. But again, pick one level of oppression, work on it, whether it's body shame, racism, homophobia. It all comes together in the end. We got a lot of work to do, but I think it's all about finding sustainable solutions because I don't want us to find ourselves back in the same place. Ah, so the COVID pandemic maintains itself. Let's go now to Dr. James Simmons to talk about those intersections. Dr. James Simmons, how are you, buddy? Why? Hello, Dr. Chris. How are you? (laughs) It's good to see you. Welcome back. Thank you very much. It is good to see you as well in these... um... Very interesting, but necessary times. Uh, So let's jump in. Uh, In the U.S., 21,000 new cases. Now, what are your thoughts on this one? So is it the mass protesting to blame or is this a result of, you know, privilege Memorial Day, uh, kids in the pool slash (laughs) reopening too soon? What are your thoughts? So if, if you just look at how the disease spreads and sort of how we've seen the numbers that have gone with new cases of COVID-19, you would expect that this would likely be from Memorial Day and the fact that there are new cases uh, now that we're starting to see that. But it's very interesting, as we've been saying from the very beginning, there's so much about this virus that we just don't know. And it doesn't behave in very typical ways because there are also states that have reopened sort of in a systematic approach and some of them less than others who are not seeing the spike in cases that we thought. Now, some of those states had lower numbers of cases in general. Some of those states have also encouraged, you know, those with underlying health conditions and the elderly to still stay at home. And we know it's very well documented that those um, groups are at much higher risk. Um, So it's very interesting, but I think any sort of spike that we're seeing right now, now is related to Memorial Day Versus a potential spike that we might see seven to 14 days from now from the protests. Yeah, that was that was my my I took pause, too, when I saw people saying, well, these cases, it's the protesting. And I was like, "Okay, we got to We got to look at timeline here to get a little clarification. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought this was really interesting as well. I had not considered this uh, impact or this intersection. So there was a headline and it said that public health experts have gotten together and they believe that we need to keep protesting in service of ending the pandemic because the Mm -hmm. covid infection disproportionately burden the black community. And that itself is because of the racism that the protests are themselves trying to dismantle. Weigh in on that. 
Oh, that's a lot, isn't it? So, you know, we these protests obviously sparked by the murder of George Floyd and, and police brutality in general, but also really getting at systemic uh, uh, system racial issues, which are so present in healthcare. I mean, they're present in, in really any setting, um, but, you know, heart disease, cancer, stroke, asthma, diabetes, influenza, pneumonia. African-Americans are disproportionately impacted by those and have a higher mortality rate from all of those than any other racial demographic group. And so when we talk about these things, when we talk about racial injustices, we talk about them on a on a macro scale and micro scales, and it certainly impacts the health community. So on one hand, it's really important to continue protesting, to continue bringing awareness to these things, because we have to make change in a healthcare environment for the overall health of the black population going forward. At the same time, as a, as a public health person and as a nurse practitioner, I'm wanting to tell everyone, wait, don't protest because this disease is disproportionately impacting black individuals and other individuals of color. And those are by and large, the majority of individuals who are protesting, though you see lots of whites individuals protesting. I think the issue here, though, is what's so interesting is that there's a lot of confounding factors. So the protests are happening outside and you do see a lot of people wearing masks, which is really, really great. We yeah. know that this is a, a droplet transmission, but the protests are happening outside. And so you have much better airflow. So where we say that six feet, you need to stay away from someone, it might not be necessarily quite as important because you're outside and there's airflow. At the same time, think about a protest and think about what you hear at protests. People are chanting and they're screaming and they're talking. And so all of this is coming out, whether you're wearing a mask or not, if you're closer to someone, it increases your, your chance of potentially catching it from someone. And on top of all of that, younger individuals who we know are less impacted from a mortality standpoint from this, but they also tend to be the asymptomatic spreaders, meaning they don't even know they have COVID-19 and they're very contagious if they've been contracted with it. And then they spread it to others. And lots of communities of color, Chris, have multi-generational family systems that all live together. Okay, and so James, that concerns <laughs> so where are you leaving <laughs> us with that? I don't know where to land uh, with that. No. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris. We're going to continue this conversation after the break. We'll be right back. Dr. James Simmons, tough decisions we all have to make. We all have to consider uh, who we're impacting. It's a lot. It's a lot. Well, because I think what happens is then you have individuals who maybe they're young and healthy and they're protesting, but then they go home. That's right. And they're living with grandma and grandpa. And this is these are the questions that are coming into my practice is we're assessing levels of risk and we're looking at who are you living with? What health factors do you have? And in the end, they're left deciding for themselves what level of risk they want to take. And we talk about all the different ways that someone can be involved in the protests and Black Lives Matter. And for some people, it is necessary that they sit out and don't necessarily protest in the streets. Is that what you're saying as well? You know, it's, it's a really difficult conversation because ultimately, you know, if, if someone has a really significant underlying health con condition, which, as I just said, disproportionately impacts the black community. My, my gut is to recommend that those individuals not protest. Okay. But as a black queer man, I also know that we have to protest. And now is our time to act. I, I mean, Dr. Southers, who is an unbelievable individual, he's fantastic. You know, he's saying this is a moment, right? He said it right there. And he's he represents a side of law enforcement that's really trying to make change. But right. everyone understands that this is the moment that we need to take advantage of, including someone who is so passionate about health that the community has to protest that it's 
it, it's if I had a perfect answer, Chris, I, I would have a perfect answer. But no, okay. but that's such a beautiful uh, answer because it really speaks to the power of d- the different identities and positions that we socially occupy. You know, on one hand, myself as a professional, I want to give the public health answer and I'm like, don't take those risks. But then you're right. Mm-hmm. The social justice person in me wants to say, get the hell out there and get those signs ready. So I, I appreciate that distinction. Yeah. And, and it's it's a difficult one because I, I do get asked this question quite often. You know, I have pretty severe asthma. Uh, but I want to go protest. I want to go involved. And so, yeah. you know, I think that there are all the different ways that we've sort of talked about it. I know you've brought up before that there are other ways that you can get involved in protest. Um, if you really do have a significant underlying health condition or you are a caretaker of someone who is who is older or has a significant underlying health condition or both, you know, I don't recommend we're still not there yet. We are still in the middle of a global pandemic and I don't recommend being in, in large crowds if you're one of those individuals, but you can still get involved in the movement in a different way that doesn't uh, mean being around a lot of people. Okay. And so can I take that and run with it and assume that you're also going to say, even though the warm weather's here, the summer's here, cities are opening up, still take precautions and maybe sit it out? I, I think so. Yeah. You know, it's it's in L.A., you know, they just announced yesterday that the, the Los Angeles Pride uh, um, parade that was initially canceled has now been changed and it's going to be a, a march in conjunction with Black Lives Matter. And even then, you know, it does concern me for a lot of individuals who are at higher risk, but who are like, OK, I'm going to that now. This is something that I can do. It's something I can look forward to. It's a way that I can contribute. But ultimately, I think if you have a, a really fantastic conversation with your primary care provider, whomever that is, uh, you know, this is we've talked about this before, Chris, keep lines of communication open with that individual and say, you know what, I've been really good. I'm staying at home. I have no symptoms. I haven't been around anybody. But this protest is meaningful to me. Doing this is something that's really, really important to me and have the conversation. It, it's not going to be a black or white answer. It's going to be gray depending on the individual. Well said. All right. Dr. James Simmons, thank you so much for being a part of the show and be safe out there. Thank you very much. You too, Chris. Have a great night. Tough decisions we all have to make. We all have to consider uh, who we're impacting, our health risks, and also what options are available to us otherwise. And I'm thankful that we have a lot of different options available. But definitely, please continue to consider that the COVID pandemic is still happening. And we want to participate in all of these protests and the revolution as it's needed. But also consider your health factors and your health risks. It's going to be different for everyone. Uh, At the end of the show, we're going to put up some resources for those that need some extra care and support. Please utilize them. Otherwise, all of our old shows, you can go to theradio.com handles and check out past episodes as always thanks for hanging out with me and you all have a beautiful beautiful night you're listening to love line with dr chris all right we are back time to slide into those dms sliding into the dms sliding into the dms is brought to you by our friends at trojan condoms because it's a big old sex world we want you to explore the confidence hey dr chris what advice would you give for getting back out in the dating world oh it's scary out there I only had sex with my ex-husband. Oh, how can I overcome feeling insecure about getting back out into the dating and hookup culture? I'll say this. The game has changed. It's a different world out there since you and your husband broke up. Um, You've only had sex with your husband. Look, the work initially is translating that anxiety into excitement. Excitement around all the new experiences you get to have. Some of them are going to be completely ridiculous because it is ridiculous out there dating, but try to translate it into excitement around the stories you're going to tell, the people you're going to encounter, the restaurants you're going to get to try. Truly, 
truly get excited about all the new things that are going to happen. Also, I remind people it's a numbers game. You're not going to go on two or three dates and fall in love again if that's even what you're looking for. You might not. You might want to just casually date, have some casual sex. That's awesome. There's a lot of people that are open to that. But it's going to be a numbers game if you do want another serious relationship. It often takes time. So get out there and be willing to go on multiple dates. Dates, excuse me, take your time. Meet a lot of different people. Um, but don't don't hold on too tightly. Don't have a, a serious goal. Just kind of be open to it being what it is. You're going to meet some people that maybe want something more serious, some people that want something lighter, some people that just want to have sex. Be open to kind of all of it. You know, mama's out there. She's single. She doesn't have her husband anymore. She's just seeing what's up. You're going to learn a lot about yourself too. A lot. Every time you go on a date with someone new or have some sex with someone new, a new part of you is going to emerge that you weren't familiar with because you're used to what happens when you and your husband come together. But now you're going to get to uncover and learn about other aspects of yourself. So again, the main goal is turn it from fear and anxiety into excitement about what you're going to encounter, what you're going to see, but be ready for it all. It's going to be a little bit of everything. Take your time, hold your boundaries. Don't do anything you're not comfortable doing, but hookup culture and dating culture, it's a whole new game. It's a whole new game, but remember to see the fun in. Oh, yeah. So this is this is a profoundly transformative experience for a lot of people, um, and so don't 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 not take that on fully. Um, it's kind of sometimes some of the most evolving we can often do. So really, really honor that. Put the time in, the presence, the effort, and um, hang in there tight. Just don't don't take it all too seriously, because like I said, it's a journey. And in the beginning, it can often be rough because it's new a new skill set that you're going to be forced to utilize that's not familiar to you, but um, you got it in you. Uh, try all the different apps, though, because they're all a little bit different. Talk to your friends about what you're doing um, and just make it fun because, again, that's what this is really supposed to be rooted in. You know, It's not supposed to be something that's heavy and overwhelming and depressing. And so if it starts to feel that way, take a break. Right, A little burnout shows up. Take a little break. Take care of yourself. Focus on all the other things that are meaningful and happy in your life. You'll be fine. Sliding the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms. It's a big old sex world. We want you to explore it with confidence. Our DMs come from our Loveline IG page, so if you want your question right on air, slide into the DMs on our Loveline IG page. As always, thanks for hanging out with me, and y'all have an awesome, awesome night.